Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's much easier to go with the flow when our economy is steadily growing, when interest rates are stable for months on end, when oil and gasoline prices rarely change, and when the global marketplace hums along without wars and supply chain issues. I'd add an observation to this benign world we often wish for, and that is uptrends in prices, stock prices, bond prices, real estate prices, occur over long periods, years, and even a decade or more. But financial downturns in bonds, stocks, and real estate occur far quicker, and often they're quite sudden and breathtaking. Actually, I'll add one more observation. Momentum continues trends far longer because of leads and lags in the economy. I'll give an example. The convergence of COVID work from home, read that as much lower utilization of office space, and higher interest rates takes a year or more to work through our financial system. The same kinds of issues relate to home prices and home affordability. My point is that it's one thing to recognize a change in trend and even to do so correctly. But it's quite different to know when the trend will become obvious and impact the vast majority of Americans. Let's focus for a minute or two on the commercial real estate trend changes that are becoming more real month by month. First, those office building owners who have long-term mortgages can continue on month to month as if nothing has changed, at least for some period of time. That could be months or even a year or two. They have lease contracts with clients who also continue to pay their rent for the lease term, even though the clients know they have more space than they need, but they have contracts in place. So the first wake-up call happens when lessees non-renew their leases, or they just stop making their contracted lease payments. As I recall, Twitter, or X, just stopped making lease payments on one of their primary buildings in San Francisco. More importantly than any one company, most if not all of our listeners cannot avoid seeing increasingly empty office spaces and even shopping center retail locations around the United States with for rent and for lease signs on the windows. This is pretty much everywhere. These issues take months to work through the system and ultimately cause many commercial real estate owners to walk away from their substantial properties or start on the road to foreclosure and possibly bankruptcy. This is where we are today. We're on the road. The small and medium-sized banks are the key lenders to much of the nation's commercial real estate. So far, so good, right? Sort of like a person falling off a high cliff. Midway on the drop, so far, so good. Sorry for the graphic example, but the point is we are living through a transition stage in which momentum has kept crises pretty much out of the headlines, except for San Francisco, New York, and other metro markets that have been hitting the ground first in this fall from grace. Don't get comfortable about the limited fallout so far because many, many commercial real estate crashes are only in the transition stage right now. With approximately $2 trillion of commercial properties needing to be refinanced over the next two years or so, and with banks facing growing bad debt write-offs on credit cards and small business loans, coupled with interest rates higher for longer, the cards are now just being dealt. 
to the thousands of medium-sized and small-sized banks. Look for the crises to move back into the headlines by year-end or certainly by first quarter of next year during the first quarter. It's also valuable to recognize that the stock market averages, importantly the S&P 500, have become even more concentrated than we've discussed over the past year. With a handful of high-tech companies, last year the FANG stocks plus Microsoft, and again that's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, you could even ask NVIDIA if you like, but it wouldn't change the numbers that much. But last year these handful of stocks accounted for about 25% of the Standard & Poor's 500 index. Fast forward to now, they now account for approximately one-third of the entire index which is why many stocks are now in downtrends with the people who follow the indices and the news media who report stock market results day to day, hour to hour. They don't really pick that up. The indices remain quite high. This handful of stock portfolio sports also a price earnings ratio of close to 50 to 1, which overall makes this tech bubble larger than the one in 2000-2001 when the bubble burst resulting in many losing substantial parts of their retirement fund investments. I keep in mind one of the earlier important observations. I'll repeat it. Stock market drops occur quickly and wipe out years of stock market increases. So today, unless you have a 10 to 20 year timeline on stock market investments, I'd suggest you seriously consider selling significant amounts of stock holdings and remaining in cash. The benefit now is the two-year United States Treasury note yields 5%, which is not bad considering it's risk-free versus an expected identical or even expected higher return in a stock market that could drop 20 or 30% or more in a matter of months, or even more than that over a year. This is not financial advice, but it is intended to counter greed and inaction for the next year or two. We need to think about it. And I promise to remind you of this podcast at the end of the year, and you can judge the timeliness of it for yourself. Over the next months, I'm going to bring in more investment alternatives you may wish to consider between now and a year or so from now. These are ones that you may want to consider based upon where we are in both the U.S. and global economies, where we are in the various cycles. Here's a summary of where we are, and this is pretty much up to the minute. Many economists follow leading economic indicators, and they've been doing so for decades. At this point in time, the conference board's U.S. leading economic indicators for July marked the 16th consecutive drop and the longest losing streak since the run-up to the Great Recession in 2007-2008. One of the senior managers of the Business Cycle Indicator Research at the Conference Board formally said, quote, the outlook remains highly uncertain, unquote. Actually, she went on to indicate that the leading index continues to suggest that economic activity is likely to decelerate and descend into a contraction in the months ahead. This index, if you look it up, it's based on 10 components ranging from stock prices and interest rates to unemployment claims and consumer expectations for business conditions, hence a leading index. Secondly, consumer confidence is now just a hair above a formal recessionary level. The Conference Board Consumer Index came in at 80.2 in August, hovering just above 80 the level that signals the U.S. economy is headed for or in a recession over the coming year. Third, Consumers are foregoing big-ticket purchasers. Retailers report 
that their customers have shifted their purchasing habits, spending less on furniture, and that's even with very small numbers of transactions in housing. People are keeping their houses, but spending less on furniture and other big-ticket items in favor of necessities. They've been trading down on grocery items, ditching pricier cuts of beef, and buying chicken. Overall, the American consumer is at a tipping point. Number four, there is a transition into delinquencies by loan type. Student loans are up for payment now, starting formally in October, but a number of loan payments have started in September. However, the delinquencies for auto loans are up very strongly from about a year ago. Credit card write-offs are trending straight up right now, and even mortgage payments are trending up. The mortgage defaults are trending up. Number five, banks are increasingly reluctant to lend. The latest senior loan officer opinion survey by the Federal Reserve reports tightening credit conditions across the board from business loans to home mortgages and consumer credit. Banks themselves most frequently cite a less favorable or more uncertain economic outlook and expected deterioration in collateral values, prices of homes, prices of cars, and the credit quality of loans as reasons for expecting to tighten their standards further. Number seven, manufacturing remains in a prolonged post-pandemic slump. Manufacturing has been in decline for 10 consecutive months, as measured by the ISM Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index. One of the quotes, Chris Williamson, Chief Business Economist at Standard & Poor's Global Market Intelligence, quote, orders are in fact falling faster than factories are cutting output, suggesting firms will need to continue scaling back their production volumes in the near future, unquote. Next, only two more to go. <laughs> the yield curve, which is a classic recessionary signal, is still inverted in a major way. And speaking of leading in economic indicators, the inverted yield curve has been considered a sign that a recession is due within 18 months. Well, the yield curve has been inverted for well over six months, considerably longer than that. So formally, a recession may be declared very soon. And 10, and maybe the most important part right now is inflation is sticky. If you don't believe that, think of the writer's strike, the Hollywood strikes. Think of the strikes going on that have started with the automakers. If you don't think inflation is sticky, look at more and more wage demands that are coming nationally. The soft land scenario is so widely embraced, and it's based on observations that the inflation has dropped precipitously as the economy continues to grow. Well, the economy is not growing. It's not healthy. And inflation has not dropped precipitously. It's edging back up again, and it's well above the 2% target. So I don't want to make a forecast because it may be 50-50, but at the Federal Reserve's next meeting, I would not be surprised if despite all of the positioning to the contrary, that the Federal Reserve could increase the discount rate another quarter of a point. We'll soon see. We just have a few days to find out. With that, I will mention that over the next month or so, I'm going to begin bringing in suggestions of industries to look at for future investment on the rebound that we are bound to have. It may be a year or two or more away, but it's time to begin thinking about certain industrial sectors, specifically energy and raw materials, as I mentioned before, that would be timely to consider for the next rebound in the economy. So I'll begin bringing some of that information in so you can begin considering it for your own portfolios. Take care, stay conservative, 
raise cash, stay out of debt as much as possible, and do consider the risk-free short-term government securities, particularly the two-year treasury note I mentioned for short-term investment. Until next time. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.